Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. A very busy Tuesday coming up. So we're going to dig straight into today's Q&A. Um, this is with Taya. Taya's question pertained to scoliosis. And so we covered some ground in this one uh, in regards to what, what I think um, is the source of, of the deformity, if you will, in regards to scoliosis. And I think it's, it's a very strong mechanical situation. There may be some other influences. I don't think there's any any question that it, things tend to be multifactorial. There could be um, issues with cilial deformities. There might be cerebrospinal flow issues, but I think the strongest evidence points towards the internal force relationship with the external physical structure and then how we manage things. Reason being, if we go back into, uh, I believe it's an article in Spine Journal in 2007, where they were looking at, at uh, um, normal spines, um, so-called normal spines, um, people with normal internal anatomy compared to citizen versus, and what we saw was opposing mirror image curves of, of the normal spines. Um, if you look at the, a scoliotic spine, you're going to see the structure of the anterior aspect of, of, the, of the spine um, is the, the area where we're going to see the lengthening of, of the uh, connective tissues where we're going to see the compressive strategy on the opposing side. So um, internal organs are attached to the anterior aspect of the abdomen and to the spine. Therefore, we should expect to see the elongation as described in, in the research. Um, there was a recent, more recent study um, by Schlosser um, where they specifically mentioned this concept of the influence of the internal organs. They found uh, issues similar to the, uh, the spinal curvatures in the 2007 study. So again, I think everything's pointing towards this, this mechanical representation um, as the source of the scoliosis. We also touched base on uh, a little bit of, of what we would consider hypermobility and, and why it may exist. Um, so this is a really, really interesting call. So, so thank you, Taya. Great question. Um, should get a little bit of discussion going with a lot of people um, as far as what they're dealing with and how we're going to manage these things. So again, thank you. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. My question is regarding the scoliosis representation. Uh -huh. I was just reading a lot about it, and uh -huh. I wanted to ask you what is the main factor that puts someone more like prone to developing that ex exaggerated curves because we all have it but some have yeah. it like you can see it with the naked eye yeah and i was just wondering what's the factor that makes them more prone to getting those curves <clears throat> okay um here's my thought process this is my opinion is that it is it is produced by the forces that are internal okay so the the way that that everything is attached on the inside is going to influence the movement and the the forces involved internally and then what we see externally is the response to that okay yeah having said that there's actually research that is starting to ask that question. And so they're looking at they're looking at the attachment orientations that are associated with people with scoliosis. 
so there is there is some you can actually find it um, if you start digging in, into sorry the, if you start digging into some of the research on that. So it is there. It's not it's not extensive yet, but they're definitely looking at. It. But, but that would be my opinion. Say that those people are more lucky to get this like change changes that are more exaggerated than others or like is genetics or no well i mean it i it I, I would assume that its foundation is genetic to some degree i don't know if it's like an epigenetic influence or if it's uh, you know i don't know where that falls that's that's not my it's not my desire to to find out the that deep of a source i'm looking more of the at the mechanical element of it um so i don't i don't have that answer mm -hmm. um i don't know that they have that answer either i don't know if there's been like a gene or whatever you know that's been identified that would produce that but but from a mechanical perspective it makes a lot more sense to me that this is a response to something and then you say, well, what could that something be? Well, it could be something that's external. There could be an external influence, like some sort of force. Okay, so we've got gravity to deal with, and and then, but but the your internal forces are in response. There's a cutie. Uh, there's an internal response um, to gravity as well. That's that's where that's how those forces behave relative to gravity. So. Again, I look at this from the mechanical perspective um, versus something else. And I was just thinking because the scoliotic pat uh, patients that I get to work with are all narrow. So I was just thinking maybe they're, yeah, they're more biased because they're looking at force production, uh, how to uh, produce the force into the ground. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just, you know, generally speaking on, on narrows, it's, it's, so the, the pressure through the axial skeleton is more distributed towards the outside of the, of the axial skeleton. So that might be why we see more of this, um, in the, um, mm -hmm. in the, the narrows because they, their turning capabilities are different, right? And because this, uh, ch changes and turns in the spine are magnified, I'm just wondering because the, the patients I get to work with uh, get to uh, like present as hypermobile. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering that everything turns because the spine can't. So it looks, uh, or is the spine turning that allows me that um, excessive motion? Well, okay. So with every turn, you're going to get a magnification of the peripheral measure. Okay, so, so we can use Michael Savage's client as a representation or some of the other stuff that we've been talking about. So um, this is why you have to appreciate that the spine is moving through ERs and IRs. So when you think about where the turns are in, in a, a, a patient that's diagnosed with scoliosis, they're going to magnify some of the peripheral measures. So that's why they get branded as hypermobile, mm -hmm. right? So if I have a turn, if I have an IR turn, let's just say that the, let's just say that the, uh, um, the lumbar spine is 
is rotated to the uh, right mm -hmm. relative to whatever the front would be. So if we used a line through the sacrum and the pubis as, mm -hmm. as a midline, mm -hmm. and then the spine is rotated to the right, can you see how that might magnify the, the left hip IR measure? Yeah, I, I was just wondering because the spine is turned that way, yeah. that the IR on the right would not be as magnified because this, okay. Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You see it? So, so again, it's like branding these people hypermobile probably isn't helpful, right? You can, you can appreciate the fact that the, that the measures are magnified, but the, the reason why, like whatever hypermobility means, it just means that the, that the direct measure, again, this is a structural reductionist kind of a viewpoint. It's like, oh, hypermobile, that means that the joint's moving too far. Is it really that the joint's moving too far or is it the combined representation of the spine, the pelvis orientation and the hip joint is what's producing the ER? You see it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, you have to appreciate that. Good morning, happy Monday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, had a pretty solid weekend. Um, very exciting, got the new, uh, the intensive uh, 19 notebooks came in over the weekend, so there you go. Um, that's the, probably the first time that we've uh, put the, the, the real intensive logo on anything, so that's kind of fun. Um, Got to dig straight into today's Q&A, getting kind of busy uh, this morning. So this is with Dante. And Dante's question uh, pertained to, to understanding a little bit more about helical structure. And so, so we've talked about this helical structure um, quite a bit. In fact, I got a slide from the intensive one that's right there. And you may have actually heard that quote repeated by a couple of the people that were actually in the room at the intensive one. Um, so we've always talked about this, this helical structure, and we can look at this from the micro to the macro. You, your DNA is helically oriented. The things that you're constructed out of, you're helically oriented. Your total physical structure is a helical orientation. This is one of the reasons why I constructed the wide and the narrow ISA archetypes is because of their helical structures being different, they will move differently. And so if we can understand their point A's a little bit more effectively, sort of like where they came from, and we can look at their point B's as to where they are, we can certainly deconstruct um, this process and allow them to restore relative motions as needed or raise their performance based on what their physical capabilities are because these will be idiosyncratic based on physical structures which is why we have people that are great swimmers and we have some people that are great pole vaulters or whatever they they might be because it all comes down to the physical structure so thank you Dante for leading us in this direction um, a very useful question everybody have an outstanding Monday and I will see you tomorrow it's about the helical angle because uh -huh. I watched uh, some rotations video of you on the uh, YouTube channel and sometimes you will mention the helical angle but yes. when I searching the helical angle as a key keywords on the channel there uh -huh. is not a lot uh, I mean there is not a video just focus on the helical angle so do uh -huh. you have any videos just uh, uh, explain <clears throat> what is helical angle and how it will affect the movement uh, of do you, our body. Do you know what a helix is? Uh, it's a spiral. Yeah. Yeah. It's a spiral. That's yeah. how you're constructed. So everything everything that you're made of 
is a helix. So your your DNA is helical. Your collagen yeah. fibers are helical. Your your musculature is organized in in helices. Your skeletal structure is organized in helices, right? So everything yeah, yeah, yeah. You do, everything that you do moves on a helix. It's, it's so every joint in your body moves on a helical angle. Okay, so there's there's not straight hinges like like it's proposed in in some of the literature there there actually there's always a twist and a turn that's associated with that okay and so your your gross structure so the big structure of you um, is actually kind of easy to see when you look at when you look at a skeleton and each each segment of you moves in a helical manner and there is a resultant it's like if you take all of the helices and we put them together, it, it, it slowly, as you move farther and farther into a motion, all of these helices start to, to um, superimpose and then superpose, like just like we were talking about with Zach, right? So there's a twist and a turn. And so you have a certain ability to twist, okay? And if we looked at somebody with a different physical structure, so um, you're, you're a wide ISA guy, right? Okay, so I think Ian, you're a narrow, right? Ian's a narrow? Yeah, so if we were to watch you guys, you, you both turn, um, because you're both human beings and have the same relative body parts, I would assume, um, you, would, you would look similar, but there would be a subtle difference in the, in the angle at which your body would turn most efficiently. One second. Love you. Um, and and that would be when you're turning on the the helix. But the the thing you have to understand is like there's not like a singular helical angle. Okay, we use we use like an ISA as a proxy measure. Okay, so as a gross measure for your your general structure that guides us in how you would turn. So so the the ISA provides us a measure, so to speak of how well you would turn or at what angle you would turn, okay? Um, so does that, does that get me in the ballpark as to what your question might be? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so everybody, okay. everybody has their own, right? Their own <clears throat> representation of, of their helical orientation. And then that's where you best move. You always move best on your helical angle. So does that mean we, uh, when we do all the joint movement, there is a specific angle is best for the movement? Maybe uh, because I remember- well, okay. um, Hang on, maybe, hang on one second, hang on. That is, that is a correct statement, but what we want is in an ideal world is the ability to manipulate and change the, the angle of our helix to allow us to achieve coordinated motions, okay? So for instance, if you were to reach straight up overhead, okay, straight up, there's no helix there. Like that's not straight up, my friend, but, but it was a good effort. <laughs> okay, so there's no helix up there. So what that means is for you to occupy that space, you have to be able to change your helical angle to get there, 
And so that's what we're measuring on people. We're just measuring their ability to, to change shape, right? To access spaces. You will always move best on your helical angle. If you can't move your helical angle, then your movement's restricted. Real simple. Okay. Understand. Yeah. Does that help you? Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, sir. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow's Thursday. That means tomorrow's 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference call as usual. Grab a cup of coffee. Please join us for some great people. Great Q&A. Always fun. Uh, we've been doing these for a while. We're going to keep doing them until they're no longer fun. So once again, please join us at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, link will be up on the professional Facebook page just prior to the call. That's Eastern time, uh, by the way, 6 a.m. Eastern time. Um, digging into today's Q&A, this is with Dante. Love Dante's questions. Dante loves to talk about the foundational concepts, and so do I. And so this question really hit home. So he's making reference to a video that's up on the YouTube channel. If you're not on the YouTube channel, please go subscribe so you can get all the videos. Um, but uh, he was using one, we were talking about agility and the behavior of the of the pelvic outlet. And what, what this allowed us to do is we got to talk about concentric versus eccentric orientation, connected tissue behaviors, foundational principles, like, like we will always move in the direction of expansion and such. And so again, really, really strong foundational question. So. Um, for those of you that are that are new to my model, it's a great video for you to, to even get started with. But it, like I said, it's going to lead you to some of the stuff on the YouTube channel. Um, so please take advantage of that. Thank you so much, Dante. Truly appreciate the question. Uh, everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, uh, Thursday morning, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference Call. Um, we're going back to Dante. Is he still? There you are. Uh, I uh, I also watched a video about your expand uh, concentric eccentric yield and overcome, but it's two years ago. The video yeah. is two years ago. Yeah, it's and old. You yeah, it's old. And you said uh, the yield and overcome is also the muscle behaviors. But now well, it's, it's associated with muscle behavior. It's not the muscle behavior. Okay. So now it's a connective tissue behaviors, not muscle behaviors. It's not muscle behavior. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so you have concentric yielding. Concentric is the muscle behavior. Yield is the connective tissue behavior associated with it. But the but in the old videos you said the concentric is uh, it's a, it's orientation, right? Muscle so concentric. Yeah. Muscle the concentric means uh, shorter than the middle range if there is a middle range and the eccentric is uh, longer than the middle range <laughs> correct right correct. so that is the orientation of the muscle that's the orientation of the muscle correct so but you said in in that video said the ear is means um, like that say yes yeah so yielding is means like that if, if just like this is a dumbbell and they yeah. uh, go down it cannot overcome the weight. So that is a yield, right? Yielding behaviors. Um, you're, so you're, you're, you've got two things happening at the same time. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the muscle can change and then you can also have the yield in the connective tissue behaviors at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I understand, I understand. Okay. So that, so the concentric orientation, does, does the concentric orientation means the muscle will getting shorter? Yes. No matter what lens you have. By, okay, hang on. Shorter by the traditional representation of a muscle getting shorter, okay? Yes. What, what do you mean? About if we this? use the biceps, if we use the biceps as the example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the shortened representation, yeah. That's actually really intense. So no matter, no matter the length of the muscle, no matter the length of the muscle, even if it is longer than the middle range, it still can be concentrate orientation. Relative to, so if the mm -hmm. joint changes, if the joint, so there's one position, there's two. Yeah. yeah. Is there a difference? Yeah. Uh, shorter. Yeah. So you have to look at yeah. a relative position to where, like, it's a comparator, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to look at it as a, as a representation of its comparison to what? So concentric orientation relative to what? It's like oh, that, okay. that, like biceps, this is more eccentrically oriented than that. This, and this oh, is more yeah. concentrically oriented than that. Okay, I understand. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Yeah. 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 Because um, the, the middle, hang on, hang on. The middle representation changes from moment to moment. Like where the middle is, is not one place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because we're thinking in comparison between the two. Yeah. And these also uh, associated with another video, also an old one. It's a. Uh, move into and out of a cut. Do you still remember that? Into and out of a cut? Yeah, the bio, uh, biomechanic. Can I, I share my screen? Am I in the purple room? I'm not sure if you're in the purple room. Can I share my video? Sorry, can I share my screen? Yeah. This one? Yeah, that's remember? the purple room, dude. See the walls? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my question is about the, the middle, in the middle. So you have a full quarter of the pelvis floor and the left front and the right front, left back and right back. And you set, when, when you come to, uh, so at the first, when you raise the leg, you want to go to in the cut before, before the foot connect with the ground. Yes, the right you're moving from, in that direction. Yep, you're moving yeah. in that direction. Yeah, yeah so, so the, there's no load on the leg yet. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. So, so the expansion has to occur in the direction that you're going to place the foot. Yes, I understand. So it's eccentric yield on yeah. the right front yeah. and uh, concentric overcome on the back of the right. There you yeah. go. And I can also understand when you touch the ground, Yep. It's an eccentric overcome of the red front yeah. because yeah. because the gut should start to from start start to move back, right? So it should be the overcome on the red front, but it's still uh, eccentric. And then when you go to the uh, max P, it's a concentric overcome on the red front. Yeah. So this, but go so, ahead. Sorry. So, so that is the question 
because when you say uh, when you come back or come out of the uh, the ground, yep. When you're uh, here, here yep. left the ground, yep. it's back to eccentric overcome on the right front. I don't understand this. In my opinion, why not concentrate here on the right front? On the anterior outlet? Yeah, on the okay. right. Okay, all right. So if it's concentric in the anterior mm -hmm. outlet, if it's mm -hmm. concentric in the anterior outlet, what is the representation? What is the representation of the pelvis? Is it IR or uh, ER? IR or ER? IR. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So, um, if I am if I am moving away from that leg, so I'm coming mm -hmm. out of the cut. Mm -hmm. I need to move more towards the ER representation because the IR is reducing. So the maximum amount of IR that was already produced into the ground is, mm -hmm. is starting to dissipate. So as I move away from that, I'm moving more towards the ER orientation, which means that the outlet needs to change back to an eccentric orientation. Otherwise, I can't access ER to come out of the cut because that's a, that would be the late ER representation, right? Yeah. So, so ER is increasing, IR is decreasing. If I had a concentric anterior outlet the whole time, I would be stopping. Okay. So at that moment, the connective tissue behaviors and muscle behaviors change the same time, right? Yes. It's concentric yeah. to eccentric and overcome. Uh, and uh, Oh, no, sorry. It's still overcome. Yeah, I don't see that. Yeah. So, yeah, because, so again, you're, you're, you're looking at energy storage and, and energy release, and then you're also looking at the position of the, mm -hmm. of the outlet that allows you to achieve, like for me to get my leg um, into the, the ER representation, the pelvis has to change its shape, which, yeah. Means that, yeah. which means that I'll have an outlet change. It's a lower force producing position, but it started from a very high force producing position. And then as I move farther and farther away from it, my velocity is increasing. If velocity is increasing, I can't push as hard into the ground anymore. So it's no longer concentric orientation. It's going to be the it's going to transition back to the eccentric orientation. Okay, I understand. So that, that makes sense. The velocity and the time that makes yes. sense. Yes. So so you have to look at you, you have to look at, at where is the force produced. The, the highest force production, that's going to be an IR representation without fail if, if you have um, access to the positions. If you're looking at velocity, I, I cannot produce high forces if I am using a high velocity strategy. So I have to move in the opposite direction. So that's where ER, uh, um, that's where you would be in more of an ER representation to demonstrate the velocity. Oh, yeah. So they're not the same. Yeah. They're not the same. Is okay. That, that so, so that is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really helped you. I also watched a video. You explain the time limit about the force. You said the power outcome, the power lifter, they don't need to have the really good power outcome because they don't have time limit on each lift. So you explain the velocity and time time limit stuff. Yeah, I'll see. Yeah. 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 And does does the move into and I'm sorry, move inside and out of the cut is the uh, same with uh, gate. Same yes. with walking. Absolutely the same. Okay. Okay, I'll see. Yeah.
Yeah. yeah. Early, middle, max, late, always. Always. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Man, that's an old video. I looked yeah. good back then. <laughs> yeah. I watch your videos every day. Yeah. Oh, you really need to get out more. You should you should probably do something else with your with your time and it's more valuable. <laughs> no, I think that is the most valuable thing what I can uh, do now. Well, I appreciate that. It's very kind of you to say. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, Zach, since you're walking to the soccer field and you're not homeless. <laughs> if I, if I was homeless, would I not be allowed to ask my question? Oh, no, absolutely. No, I, I no, absolutely. I'm open to everybody. So go ahead. Um, so I have a two-parter for a girl I saw last week. I think both are fairly brief, but um, the quick history, she's like a year and a few months out from an ACL. Um, I'm, I just saw her for the first time. So she did her rehab at a different school, transferred here this year. Um, got cleared to play softball last spring. It's a right-sided ACL. Um, but the entire rehab she just had, what she described is this like deep central knee pain, like kind of like deep inside the joint. Um, she was able to pass all her return to sport testing, but just felt like crap. Um, so she went back to see the doctor after the season, re-imaged it. The MRI just showed like a bunch of scar tissue. The x-ray kind of showed the screw protruding through the joint line like a tiny bit. Um, so then they ultimately went back in, um, took the scar tissue out. But when the doc got in there, decided not to touch the screw. So that's still there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm seeing her for the first time a month after that procedure. Um, so the first part of the question is, so like testing her range of motion, um, just like early deflection, she'll uh -huh. get like tightness across the front. And then she gets like that same deep knee pain, posterolateral, lateral, like tightness pinching. Um, so I did like, a, I started with the late, tibial IR move and that didn't do anything but then I was like all right wait that didn't make sense I did early and that took away all of that discomfort um in combination with just like some slight patellar moves so my first question is is the decision making for the early versus late tibial IR literally as simple as whether like they have the symptoms or the restriction in supine versus prone when measured yeah <laughs> I okay. mean because cool. wait because you got two different knee positions they're not the same. Yep. I, I, just want, I just want to make sure that that was as simple as which one do you pick? Well, okay. So one's tibial femoral ER, one's tibial femoral IR. You understand that, right? One's tibial femoral. So the, the, early, the early one, which is the one that helps her, is the tibial femoral IR. Bingo. And so, then... So, yeah. So she, so, so she was in proximal... She, she, she had the proximal tibia was ER relative to the femur, which is, and that's, that's the, one of the most common reasons why you get the posterior lateral knee pain with, with, with the compressed knee bend, right? Yep. <clears throat> Real common. It gets, it get and it, this is also probably one of the reasons why you would get like a posterior horn injury with a deep knee flexion injury, like a skiing injury or a deep squat or something like that. Um, because you, you've got a fluid compartment there that is incompressible. That's what they're feeling. Yeah. 
take that same fluid compartment, right? And then compress the posterior lateral knee with, with, a, with a deep knee bend, there's your posterior horn injury, right? Can, can you just go over really quick? Cause I, I, I guess I can, I can spit back out that the, the prone knee flexion is like a, a tibia femoral ER, but that's one of those, like, I, I know you said it, but I just don't really, I don't really see it. Um, you ever do a biceps curl? Yes. In supination? Yes. That's what prone knee flexion is. Okay. <laughs> that's right. So, so hang on. One is like that. And one is like that. They're not the same. Uh, all right. That oh, yeah. How about that? That's helpful. Peter didn't smile though. So I'm a little upset that that was not, that was not a light bulb moment for him. Clearly he is, he is well ahead of the game. <laughs> Still waking up. No, that's, that's why they're not the same. That's why you can't, you can't, you can't use them as the same, same measure because they don't. Right. The same thing, right. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what finding would you be using the late tibial IR mobilization? Um, when they, when they, so if they, if they're in screw home, yep. right. So, so if you get, if you get the, the tibia to IR, um, and you can get heel to butt, right. Um, knee bend, right. They still have to be able to, to capture max P, um, straight into the ground, right. Okay. That's a late IR move. All right. That's the difference. One is early, one is late. It's like, so where does late show up? Well, late IR is straight into the ground. So if I can't, right. if I can't produce force straight into the ground, then you got to do the late mode. Uh, I think that leads into the second part of the question. Um, so I knew that. I knew that. That's why. That's why we, I went for it. Yeah, we we talked we talked before this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so still in the first visit, basically did all that stuff stood her up like before i did all that actually like the squatting still reproduced that same central knee pain afterwards the pain was gone second visit with her like a little bit more inconsistent in that like some of the reps would feel good some of the reps would feel bad depending on whether we're doing like a squat a split squat um so like in my head i'm just not i'm not capturing that position on every single rep Correct. um is from a sequencing of events standpoint would there be like a right versus wrong, like in one end, uh, end of hip measures? She's like all orientation, like 510 IR, like 50 ER. Um, sequencing of events, <clears throat> like one end of the spectrum, I'm picturing exercises with like a traditionally like extended knee, like kind of like right underneath the center of mass, like get more of like a hip bias. Other end, I'm picturing like split squat type activities where I'm moving her through, like in a more have more knee excursion. Is there a right versus wrong there, or is it more of like a do it and see? Um, well, I, for in based on the circumstances that you're describing, I would think you would want to put her in an early representation to start, which would be a which would be a split stance or a stagger or something like that. Okay. Um, question. Hopefully, answer. Um, huh. Hopefully, answer. <laughs> so this is a right. This is a right leg, and she's she's got no IR on the left side. Yeah, or she's the got right side, on the right side. She's got no IR. 
uh, on either side. She's got nothing. Okay. Is she over the right side? Is she, yeah. is she put her down on the right side? Yeah, she's a, she's a wide, so she's like just way over there. Okay. All right. Um, take, take, a look, take a look at the orientation and standing and see if you don't need to capture a late E-yard representation at the hip and then go back. I, and, I'm, and I'm talking about like a focal E-yard representation at the hip. Okay. Before you doing, need, you may need to make you may need to make a change in the shape of the femur before you go after early representation. Can you talking uh, through that one really quick? Like if her center of gravity is way over the right leg, yep. Then she's going to be pushing down the whole time, which means that she's compressing straight into the ground, right? But she's losing the battle. She's she's she gravity's winning. It's compressing her into the ground. She's not pushing away, right? So you captured the early representation uh, of her IR that alleviates the symptom. But if she can't push away from the ground, so she can't go from late the late IR representation that we just talked about all the way into a late ER representation. Okay, then that then she's not pushing away from the ground. She's still compressing into the ground. So she's losing the battle to gravity on the right side. Gotcha. Right. So she has to be able to re ER after you capture the IR representation. Gotcha. So that, that would be a, a next step, like a, the initial question about which IRs to go after. That's still the first. So and then that, here, here you go. I'm going to make it crazy simple. She's going into the cut. End of story. She's not turning it around, she's not coming out of the cut, right? If she's over top of the right leg. Gotcha. You see it? Yep. Okay. Right. Awesome. Then I think, then you. I think you're golden. I think you're golden because you're going to, you, you should have everything that you need. And then I would, yeah. I would say like go early middle, just go early middle late. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, man, we got a crazy busy Friday uh, coming up. We got to dig straight into today's Q&A. Uh, this is with Dante. So Dante presents a very interesting situation here. Um, he's working virtually, which um, because of the way the world has become, um, it became very, very popular very, very quickly um, for people to sort of have their businesses survive and to also serve their, their clientele. And virtual is tough. It's a very difficult situation because you don't have that, that immediate uh, response. Um, measuring, assessing, things like that are always difficult under this circumstance. The more important thing about this, this clip though is it, is it led to um, some language and a representation that is misleading. Um, that we have to be really, really careful of because if we have a misrepresentation of what we think that we see in these situations, then our interventions fall way short. So in this case, we were talking about rounded shoulders, which um, is, is a, a pet peeve of mine. It's a misnomer. It, it's, it's, it's absolutely wrong. Um, 
if we if we call things certain things, it becomes distracting. So if I say that somebody has rounded shoulders, then you think that they sh that this is a shoulder problem, and therefore I need to do an intervention that involves that. And uh, again, it's incorrect. It's actually one of the compressive strategies that we talk about very frequently, which we explained in the video. Um, and therefore, now if we have that understanding, we can select a better intervention and have much better outcomes. Um, so again, um, I, I challenge you to have a much more evolved representation, a better model versus the one that's based on uh, traditional representations like dead guy anatomy, which again, sometimes useful, um, but definitely falls short in many instances. So thank you, Dante, um, for leading us in this direction. You're gonna help a lot of people with this one. Everybody have an outstanding Friday. Uh, podcast will be up on Sunday. Um, I will see you next week. Several weeks ago, I just asked you one of my uh, clan. Actually, she's my friend and uh, she's not uh, in the same city with me. So I can only teach her online. Uh -huh. And that, in that time, you told me you never, never uh, trust other one's measurement, right? So you only trust your hands. And uh, you can just uh, figure out she is really uh, anterior and posterior compression. So today my question is, how can I uh, just uh, figure out if someone was uh, anterior and uh, posterior compression? on the thorax. So what can I get from the shape? And I mean, other than, other than a visual? Yeah, yeah, I mean the visual. And is there any difference between the wide and the narrow? Well, there's a and difference between the wide and the narrow in regards to the, in, in regards to the sequence of events as to how they, like, so if you, if you have all compensatory strategies yeah. uh, that, are, that are superimposed mm -hmm. on, the, on the axial skeleton, um, the end representations will be very similar because mm -hmm. they're going to lose all of their, their peripheral ranges of motion. So all of their ERs and IRs will be in deficit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that's an easy one. To, so to it's, uh, does that mean uh, a man just look, or a uh, woman, just look like a uh, really round, round shoulder? Okay, really stop, right there. stop right there, stop right there, yeah. stop right there, okay. Let's let's all all raise your right hand. I promise to never ever refer to anyone as rounded shouldered ever again. Yeah. Well, nobody said it. <laughs> okay, so we got to stop calling it rounded shoulder because it makes you look in the wrong place. Okay, mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. rounded shoulders. So mm -hmm. take your take your sternum, okay? Yeah. Yeah. I want you to push it back as far as you can. Yeah. It's not rounded shoulders. I know. It's a it's that's the compressed representation of the sternum. Mm -hmm. So okay? that just well, we call look, it rounded shoulders, like... and everybody thinks that the shoulder thingy is the fix, right? Because it's a shoulder yeah. problem. If you call it winging scapulae, you blame the scapulae for for the winging, and then that's not the problem. See, that's why these that's why they're these these situations are perpetuated, right? Because they called them something and they misnamed them, right? So when you see when you see what looks like the the so-called rounded shoulders, you know you've yeah. got a, you've got an anterior anteriorly compressed sternum. Yeah, yeah, right. So 
Um, so again, that that visual representation when you're doing something virtually is very helpful mm -hmm. because at least you know that a narrow ISA is going to do that first. Do the uh, sternal back first. Yes, sir. And the white ISA will be the white ISA is going to get pushed from, The white ISA is going to get pushed from behind first. So a narrow okay. ISA gets pushed backward. Uh, th their sternum gets compressed first. The dorsal rostral gets compressed first on the on the on the wide. So again, the sequencing of events is a little bit different, but their end positions will be the same because they have all of the compressive strategies layered on. Okay. So, so if they are go into an end game, the sternal was pressed on, and those thorax will be push forward, forward, and it's look yeah. it looks really uh straight. On the yeah, very flat. It's very flat. And and the just the shoulder just like uh go forward yeah. and the wing. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And the so that is a version of the end game of uh of the AP compression, right? That is correct. And. Uh,